Hi friends and Happy New Year! Welcome to 2018 and another episode of Live and Learn. I really enjoyed my time off. I did lots of resting, reading, eating, all those good things that hopefully you enjoyed over uh, the holidays as well. But I'm really excited to get back into things and I'm really also very excited to see what all 2018 is going to bring with it. Uh, Already good things happening. I'm have a couple of days here in between trips to Georgia to continue my standards implementation with the great folks down that way. A lot of things cooking up and working on things for COABE coming up in March. I have two sessions there and also come see me in the exhibit hall. I'm going to have a table there as well. So I'm really excited to head back to Arizona. It's been about 20 plus years since I've been out that way and I'm very excited to be headed back there. So I had to kind of go back and review what we had talked about previously due to the break. And I know I've mentioned we talked a lot about standards versus curriculum. And one of the things that I wanted to expand on with that and what we're going to talk about today is what actually makes up a good resource, at least, in both ELA and math. Now, the nice thing is this podcast episode will build on previous ones pretty nicely because the interesting thing is with curriculum and resource alignment, everything is centered around the three key shifts that we've already talked about, those three key advances or changes in instructional practices as a result of the standards coming into play. So if we'll start with ELA, and not surprisingly, the three key evaluation criteria for a resource is making sure that it's appropriately complex, that questions are very evidence-based, and that it builds knowledge and content-rich nonfiction. So let's start first with how to identify whether or not your text is appropriately complex for students. So first of all, when I'm talking about an ELA resource, it can mean several different things. Now, we have textbooks out the wazoo. We know that those are textbooks, workbooks, are in learning centers all across the country. Some are fantastic, many of them are, some are a little bit lacking. And one thing that's interesting with ELA is, you know, in these workbooks they'll have small samples of writing that for students to read, small articles and followed by some questions, and then some other types of small articles followed by questions. And typically they progress on content of or new academic skills that students are learning. So finding the main idea followed by a lesson on finding key details, followed by a lesson on author voice, followed by a lesson on author purpose, and so on and so forth. So there isn't always a lot of really rich reading in these resources. It's a great starting place, and not all resources are created equal. There are many that have that in them already. But the important thing is to know that the texts you're dealing with are appropriate level-wise for your students. Now what I mean is we're going to look at complexity. So we want to be sure that the texts are not too easy for students because then they don't grow in knowledge and they don't grow in skill, but we also don't want them to be too difficult for students to understand. So there are several things we look at uh, text-wise for complexity. We start by doing a quantitative analysis, so where the computer tells us what we're looking at here. Um, So you're going to want to use, look look at the Lexile level, find out where the publisher says the material fits, such as NRS level or sometimes grade level. Uh, But sometimes those windows that publishers provide are really large, like occasionally it'll say 6th grade to 12th grade. 
Now that's a really big range because we know reading ability is very different among those, uh, among that range. Anywhere along there, the students are going to fall very different, differently with reading ability. So then we have to go in as professionals and look at the resources ourselves and see what we think about them there qualitatively. And what that involves is looking at the structure of the text. So at this point, we're only looking at the texts in the resource. So any, any articles that students are reading. And we're first going to look at the structure and see how information is chunked or not chunked. What types of headings do we see? We start to look a little bit at sentence length and complexity there and determine, well, if I know that the publisher or I know that the text is supposedly seventh grade, let's say, in RS4, uh, then I'm going to look at that and say, well, do I think that an NRS level four student would be tripped up by the type of structure here? That maybe they have to scroll for six years in order to get to the bottom of the article. Uh, or, or is it appropriate? Uh, and sometimes there may even be too much structure, too many headings that make things kind of simple. So, so pay attention to how the texts are structured. Next, you're going to look at language clarity and conventions. And this is where a lot of vocabulary really comes into play. You know, sometimes you'll encounter a text that has really good content in it, but you recognize that the vocabulary may be very difficult for students and begin to trip them up from the get-go. So if that's the case, then you'll just know that you need to touch on vocabulary before or do a pre-read with them somehow. So look at vocabulary. Look again at sentence length and see if the sentences are really complex if they're long, if they're shorter, easier to understand. Those are the things we're mainly looking at for language clarity and conventions. Next, think about the purpose of the different articles within the resource. Is purpose clear? Is it explicitly stated? Is it very obvious? Sometimes the title will tell you what the purpose is. Or is it something that's harder for you to come up with? Does it involve a lot of inference? So the more inference required, the less clear the purpose and the higher the complexity. That makes sense, right? And finally, knowledge demands. What sorts of new information do students learn in this resource? And secondly, what kind of prior knowledge is required for the text to be accessible? So for instance, especially in a lot of technical texts like scientific texts, we will run into vocabulary, for instance, being really hard for students initially to grasp. And so that's going to raise the complexity because they don't have that prior knowledge necessarily of what those different words mean. Or if we find something on cells, uh, we, they may not have the background knowledge required to know what cells are made of. That's kind of a basis for what they're, they're going to be learning. And they may not have had that background. So that's going to increase if the knowledge demands are higher the text is going to be more complex. If the knowledge demands are a bit more familiar, that's going to decrease the complexity and thus usually the accessibility as well. So when you're looking through, again, you're, when you're trying to determine the level of the text and the, whether or not it's appropriately complex, look at the structure, then the language clarity and conventions, then purpose, and then knowledge demands. Those are the things we're looking at in complexity of the text. Now the next thing you're going to look at is the questions in the resource. And that's where evidence comes into play, our second key advance. You want your questions, almost all of them, to deal specifically with the texts at hand. And that sounds kind of common sense, but a lot of questions we still see cropping up here and there deal with 
how students feel about a situation or how would they s explain something um, or what has happened to you in the past that's similar to the, this situation. Those are good questions to ask. That's not the problem. But we want students interacting, going, having to go back to the text to answer the questions. So you want most to all of the questions to be text-based in some form. That means writing prompts, too. That means some short research projects included. That means more than just literal questions, such as you know comprehension of who did what to whom, that sort of thing. You want them to take, take the, the students deeper into the text to find the answer. And so students will have to cite evidence in doing that as well. So evidence is really important as key shift two in our questioning. And finally, number three, how does the resource build knowledge? So it's important that students are obviously learning things, topics that are important. So this is where you can get really rich workplace activities in, workplace texts to contextualize things. This is where if you're also teaching science and, and or social studies, you can use some of those topic area texts and have students interact with them building knowledge while learning the academic skills along the way. So most of your texts should build knowledge in some capacity, knowledge of value. Now we see a lot of articles from the years past, I know, um, about, let's say, seatbelts and such, like, why, why is it important to wear seatbelts? Explain your answer. Well, the, again, seatbelts are clearly very important, but as far as academics are concerned and as far as our focus based on WIOA as adult educators, we're focusing very heavily on college and career readiness. So a lot of our texts will focus there as well and build knowledge in those areas. So when we're looking at ELA resources, those are the three things we're looking at. We're making sure that the articles and that the texts in the resource are appropriately complex. Then we are making sure that questions in the resource deal with evidence have students digging back into the text alone to find answers, and finally that it teaches them something of importance, not just fluffiness. So those are the things for ELA. Now there are several other tools if, for instance, you don't know the text, uh, if you're using an online article and you're not sure what the, the level would be for students, run it through a tool called Renaissance Atos, A-T-O-S. Uh, that's a free online tool. The best way to find it is to Google it, Renaissance Atos, and you will be able to find that. And um, that's a really that's the best way to copy and paste in some text, and it'll give you essentially a grade level more or less, and you can kind of translate from there. Now moving on to math, not surprisingly, we're also talking about the three key advances of math: focus, coherence, and rigor. Now, we'll talk about each of these individually, but of course we've already gone through, and if you haven't listened to, I think it was honestly the very first episode of Live and Learn, I went through the key advances of math, or maybe just rigor in particular in that one. Anyway, it's back there somewhere. So find and listen to the key advances podcast on math first if you need some more background on this. But if you're given a math resource, first you have to determine its focus. So what kind of topics are they discussing? Occasionally you'll see math books that are all the way from learning to count through algebra. Now, first thing first, check and see, use your common sense in your hands, in your eyes, and those sorts of things. How big is that book? If it's 100 pages long, if it's 50 pages long, think to yourself, 
am I going to be able to take a student all the way from counting through algebra in that span of pages? Probably not. So the thicker the math book, more times than not, the better the resource. Now there are lots of caveats, so we'll talk about those as well. So look at where the book focuses. If the focus is really broad and takes you from counting all the way through algebra, the focus isn't narrow enough, I can already tell you. But if you have a book that's, let's say, Number Operations and Fraction Concepts, that's the title of the whole book and it's 150 pages long, focus is probably going to be pretty good. It's going to focus where the standards focus for that level. So that's like a high, I don't know, it's an NRS3-ish level for those two topics, let's say. Uh, so that's an appropriate focus for that text. Then the second thing I'm going to look at is the coherence. As I flip through, as I look at the table of contents, I'm looking at the coherence of the progression of learning within the book. Does it, does it go in order? Does it make sense? Does it go from easier concepts or, or uh, reviewed concepts all the way through harder things and even preview of lessons to come, content to come, even though it's not in that book necessarily. Things need to progress in a coherent way within the level and then in the broad scheme of things. So pay attention to the progression of the lessons and does it make sense? Does it align with how the standards progress? And finally, and this is the biggest one to me, does the resource pursue those three elements of rigor? Learning new concepts, practicing them and becoming fluent, and then applying them in different ways. Does it give time, adequate time, for all three of those elements? Now, this is another area where the table of contents can come into play. Because if you look at the table of contents, and let's say it has eight pages on fractions, well, automatically you know if there are only eight pages, and this is a new concept to students, that there isn't time for them to learn the concept, practice it adequately, and then certainly apply it in different ways, right? Eight pages is not going to do fractions. I think we can all agree on that. So table of contents alone can really help with, with those questions as to whether or not the content or the resource has enough rigor. So when you're looking at these things, look at, then flip open, look at the problems. Look at the problem types and see what students are doing with those problems. Is there a lot of application? Typically books lack application. They overall teach concepts and a teensy bit of fluency sometimes creeps in there through some practice. But application is usually relatively weak. Now, that is because in adult education, many books that we have are kind of intended to be practice or supplemental resources. They're not something you would hand to a student and work your way through, not that we do that anyway, but it's not like you would have fractions one day and decimals the next and percents the next and so on. But those books are typically really good at providing extra practice for students who are already pretty familiar with new concepts, let's say, and then they can go back and use those pages to get more skillful and more fluent. And then sometimes you have to come up with your own application. There are some resources that have good application in them, but it's kind of hard to find a lot of the time in math books. So just be aware of those. So again, to sum up math, look at the focus. Is it narrow? Is it a thick book with few, few items, few content areas, few skills of focus? That's a good thing. Is it a thin book or even a big book with a million different topics in it? 
not so good with the focus. And look at coherence. Do things progress sensibly? Do the lessons go in order sensibly? And finally, rigor, which is to me is really the most important. Making sure that students have ample practice problems to understand the concept, then ample practice problems to become skillful and fluent, and then finally, lots of different application. So this is going to be word problems. This is going to be modeling, answering problems in different ways. Those things all have to be there in order for this to be a really robust resource. So I hope that this has kind of shed some light on if you're brand new, especially to the practice, and you're opening a book and deciding, is this a book worth using? Is this a website worth using? Is this a worksheet worth using? Hopefully this is going to help you a little bit. And there are lots of different resources out there. If you can, you want to shoot me an email, I can go through things a little bit more for you. And I have some, some tools that I've adapted uh, that can kind of help with that process as well in determining the value of resources. So you can always shoot me an email, susan at scr.consulting. And we'll, we'll talk about it. We'll figure, we'll figure out um, some additional things that can help you with this as well. Again, thanks for jumping back in with me here in January of 2018. And until next time, whoever knows when that will be. But until next time, stay curious.